and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we're librarians with the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week we're going to be discussing a favorite of mine, epistolary novels. Mm -hmm. And Anne, what are epistolary novels? Well, okay, so I... (laughs) thought it was just letters 100% I thought it was just letters and then I was just looking up something with yeah. this and I found that it's it can include anything that is like journal entries or mm. newspaper clippings or basically any any book that has documents presented as um as the the way to mm. get information or to propel the, the book so I learned something which I <laughs> thought I knew this backwards and forwards yeah. so um, so that was really cool. So I, I still picked things that were uh, letter-based just because that's what I mm-hmm. had listed. Like when I do my tagging on Goodreads and everything <laughs> that was epistolary, epistolary that are hard to say, epistolary novel was um, was based on letters. But there are other things I could have done. Like Dracula is a classic example yep. of an epistolary novel, mm-hmm. but that's mostly journal Journals, entries. Right? There's some yeah. letters and some newspaper clippings, but that's a really uh, early example of that. And so yeah, I I was excited to learn something. Yeah, I love this format. Yeah. I don't know why. It's what about addicting. it? I yes, know. I think that's. I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think it's they're so you just move from one to the next, yeah. and it's there's no great stopping point, so you just keep yeah. moving forward. Yeah, um, I just love them. Yeah, yeah. I I'm always up for one. Me Anytime too. I see it as as the format, I'm, I'm all. Like, oh, in. that sounds exciting. I would like to read that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to say anything else about it or just get started with nope, our recommendations? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's your first one? My first pick is Element Minnow P by Mark Dunn. Have you ever read this? No, this I haven't. Book? Oh, I think you'd like it. I, I think, think I would fun. too. The subtitle of the hardcover, they, they changed it as something different for the, the paperback, but the hardcover edition has a subtitle of a progressively lipogrammatic epistolary fable. <laughs> and that just means that it's in the style of a word game called a lipogram, which in which certain letters are avoided. Um, so in this case, as you read, fewer and fewer letters are going to be used to make up the text. So the novel is very creative and starts to take a little bit more work from the reader to to interpret what they're saying when when there's only like five letters used <laughs> to um convey things. So it takes place on the fictional island of Nollop, which is supposed to be 21 miles southeast of Charleston. So basically very close to us. Yeah. I read this when I lived in Indiana and this area meant nothing to me. Right. It was a black hole. <laughs> um, and then I moved here. And so this makes me want to reread it just because I'm curious of how they'll portray the, the low country right. when now I have firsthand knowledge of it. And so this, this is an independent nation and it was created by Southerners who were displaced by uh, I think they left before the Civil War, but but I can't remember why they um, leave. But they declare independence from the United States in 1870, and they sort of have always lived in that manner since then. They use technology, but it's sort of a, a nuisance to them, and they're they're very formal in their in their writing and in their manners are just kind of kind of old fashioned. So the this nation considers language to be the national art form and named itself after Nevin Nollop, um, who's fictional. Mm-hmm. I had to look that up and make sure. And he's supposed to be the creator of the phrase, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, uh, which if you don't know is a sentence that cre- 
that contains every letter of the alphabet. And so they they have a memorial statue to him that has that phrase as an inscription on the statue. And one day the letter Z falls off of the inscription and it crashes to the ground and breaks up into pieces. And so the island high council decides that this must be a sign from Nevin Nollop beyond the grave and that his divine will is to remove the letter Z completely from the alphabet. So therefore no one, no one is ever allowed to use it. And there's penalties and really serious penalties if anyone does. So Z isn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't use it that often in language, but then more and more letters start to fall off. And so they keep removing letters from the alphabet that are allowed to be used. And so communication on the island and with the outside world becomes more and more difficult. And people are beginning to, to leave their homes on Nollip um, and go back to the United States. So the book is written as a series of letters from Ella P who is an 18-year-old woman who's writing to her cousin on the mainland. And there's also letters from other members of her family as they begin to rebel against the totalitarian regime that the High Council has enacted. Their only hope is Enterprise 32, which is the quest to find another phrase with all the letters in the alphabet um, that's shorter than the original one. So the original phrase has 32 or 35 letters, and they they want something that's, that's shorter. So, so there's a, a kind of... It's just a really interesting book. It does all kinds of interesting things. It's it's a language exercise. It's a, a fun way to examine free speech and government repression. But then there's kind of this lightheartedness because it's all kind of silly. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, it's neat to see a book that's about those topics when a lot of them, a lot of other books on those topics are very dark and, and kind of ominous. And this is doesn't have that feel at all. So it's it's quirky and lighthearted. And it's it's just a really fun book. It's called Ella Minopi by Mark Dunn. All right. My first one is Attachments by Rainbow Rowell. I was thinking we hadn't done a Rainbow Rowell book. We haven't book even in, talked about Rainbow know, Rowell in ages. Like a year. I feel like we've... So I felt like we had abandoned we, her yeah, and we, we needed to talk about She was about our her. show muse for so long. <laughs> I know. Still is. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Patron saint of Well Read. Uh, so this was actually her first book. Have you read this? I haven't. Okay. It's so good. So it's set around Y2K. So it's before texting, Twitter, Instagram, any of that was a thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think texting existed at the... No, did it? Hmm. I don't know. I I never got a text during that time, but I also didn't have a cell phone. I don't know if it existed or not. Anyway, regardless, email. (laughs) My point is email was the the only way to communicate Mm -hmm. electronically at the time, pretty much. So Lincoln has a job at a newspaper company as the IT guy, and one of his duties is to monitor the employee's email for inappropriate content, and when they stray from what's considered work email, they he's supposed to warn them to stick to proper content. So <clears throat> Lincoln is pretty adrift after a breakup with the woman that he loved, and he has moved back to back into his mother's house and he's taken this job as an IT guy and he really doesn't like that part of his job is to monitor their email. He yeah. feels weird about that and he's just not really happy with what's going on with his life in his life in general. And it's just sort of stagnant, I would say. So two of the employees at the newspaper, Beth and Jennifer, make the time pass throughout the day, they're friends, and they send each other emails about Everything from trivial day-to-day stuff to what's going on in their lives and what's happening in their romantic relationships and bigger like life goals and stuff. And one day, something in one of their emails triggers it to be flagged for Lincoln's review, and he finds himself reading it and being really drawn into 
um, this conversation that they're having, mm -hmm. even though he's supposed to warn them that they're not supposed to use the email for personal use like this of just going back and forth all day having mm -hmm. these conversations, he he finds himself wanting to find out what's happening in their lives and wanting to know what these what are keep the conversation going, yeah. I should say. So he doesn't want to warn them to stop because he's he's enjoying getting to know them through these emails. This sounds a little shady, like it sounds like a little creepy that mm -hmm. he does this, but the way it's written, you, it's it's okay for some reason. Like yeah. it's, he's resistant to it, but he he does it even though he doesn't want to. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he he knows he shouldn't be, but he's just really likes these girls, like from how they speak to each other and their conversations. Mm -hmm. And particularly Beth, he feels like a little bit of a spark for her because she talks. She has this boyfriend that things obviously aren't going great in the relationship. And so he thinks these things to himself about what should be happening, how he, she should be treated and mm -hmm. not, not this way. And the way the story unfolds, it just feels very organic that, that you're rooting for all three of them to have happiness. And so it's not creepy or stalkery that mm -hmm. he's reading their emails. And it's just very relatable. And the characters, Rainbow Rowell just writes such great yes. characters. Um, they're, they're a little bit quirky without being irritating. Like they're mm -hmm. quirky in a way that people you know are mm -hmm. quirky. Like everybody has their unique and It's not like set. manufactured. Right, right. Yeah. It just feels like they're totally people you would know yeah. and hang out with and, yeah. and be friends with. And it's this great romantic comedy and it's all told through emails, which is so fun. Like we said, it's the, the whole reason we're doing this episode, there's something about that format that just propels you, <clears throat> excuse me, propels you through the story and you want to find out what happens next and how it all unfolds. So that's Attachments by Rainbow Rowell. I need to, to get into her backlist. I've, yeah. I've read so many of her books. I can't, I know I haven't read all of her, her recent stuff, but I know that she has stuff that I've I've been mm. not getting to. I need to. Yeah, um, I read that. I read Attachments before I even knew who Rainbow. I mean, I read it when it came out. I just really? thought it sounded. I just thought it sounded cute. No, yeah. I like that sort of romantic comedy, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And so I read it and I loved it. And then she blew up. And, and then you, yeah, you knew. I knew her when. Yes. I'm like one of those people who's like, <laughs> I like that band before everybody else like that band. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. I just mean like it was just sounded like a good yeah. premise, and so I picked it up and read it. That's awesome. I love I love too how fiction can let us suspend our disbelief yeah. of of behaviors that would totally bother oh, us yes. in real life, but in fiction it's just well and i think it's it one of those things the story you for me i identified with the idea of not that i do this if anybody from work <laughs> is listening um, but like you know that theoretically your employer has the ability to monitor yeah. what you do on your computer and what you do in your email but yeah. like in that case you have a coworker who's a friend and maybe you have an email that starts something work related but then at the end you're like oh how was dinner last yeah, night or yeah, so you yeah, know yeah. what i mean like you know how even though you know that it's being monitored you can kind of forget that yeah, and just live your normal life. And right. so I, I I thought that that was very identifiable too, right. that these two girls are like, yeah, in theory, we know the IT guy could be reading our emails, but he's probably not because who would want to read our right, emails? Right. You know, that sort of thing. This is why you and I never no. write emails to each other. <laughs> no emails. Yeah. I mean, I truly, I truly email, keep it, keep it professional. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there was definitely, I think there was definitely a time, probably around then, you know, early 2000s that I probably, I'm guessing I used my work email mm -hmm. for personal stuff. Like, I don't think I thought about it at the right. time. Anyway. Sometimes they, they make it a big deal of when yeah. you start a job that this yeah. is monitored, but not every yeah, job I've had, every, they've, they've talked mm, about that. No. It just was a, an understood yeah. big brother. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. What's your next one? My next book is Sorcery in Cecilia or The Enchanted Chocolate Pot by Patricia, Patricia C. Reed and Caroline Sturvermeer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. 
it's a it's a mouthful Close enough. um yeah this is a book that's written in series of letters, obviously, um, but it started as this this letter exchange game between two established fantasy writers. And I actually haven't read any of their their other books because I think they're pretty hard fantasy. Is hard fantasy a phrase? Like hard sci-fi is a phrase? Mm, would it be epic fantasy? Yeah, or high fantasy. High fantasy. Maybe? High yeah. fantasy is what it is. So I haven't read their other things, but this is this is, I think is kind of outside of their regular oh. style. Mm-hmm. So they each took on a role and they created characters. Um, that they would they would write as and then they developed the story as they wrote so they didn't plan anything out ahead of time so, cool. so yeah it's a really really neat idea um and the result is just so much fun to read it's set in regency era england which <laughs> <laughs> always a good thing for me and it's a, a version of of england where magic exists but it's it's completely normal but it's not done in a magical realism way either it's just there's just magic in the world and and there's nothing noteworthy about this so the the book starts when two cousins are separated um, one of them kate is going to go to london for the season and her cousin cecilia is left at home in the country and they promise to keep a faithful correspondence with each other during their months apart um, because of course cecilia is very upset that she's left at home and she's going to be bored and kate's going to have all the the fun adventures around london and um, cecilia is hoping that these letters that she receives were sort will sort of let her live vicariously through through kate and keep her entertained during these months so immediately strange things start to happen to kate when she gets to london she's nearly poisoned by a witch she's vo- visit she's at a visit to the royal college of wizards and she takes an enchanted chocolate uh, hot chocolate um, that's meant for the Marquis of Schofield. And then at home, Cecilia makes a new friend named Dorothea, and she realizes that Dorothea is being spied on by a man named James Tarleton. And neither of these young men will give any information to Kate or Cecilia about why they're being poisoned or why they're spying. They just have no idea. But they're intrepid young women, and they're going to find out themselves what what is happening. And so as they they sort of are solving their own mysteries they realize that their two stories are actually intertwined from many miles away so this is perfect for jane austen fans um it's just so appealing to to read the same romance and the same kind of comedy of manners that you get from a jane austen novel but then it has these light elements of fantasy that are thrown in and this could have so easily been done badly but it's completely charming and delightful and you can tell that these are really this this isn't isn't an amateur exercise these are written by real authors who just did sort of a just a lighthearted game between mm-hmm. the two of mm-hmm. them. Um, and so the result is is really skillfully done. And I just, I, when I was looking at my copy, I realized that this actually came out first in the 80s and then oh. was reissued in 2003 um, with a new gorgeous cover. And that was successful enough that the authors decided to write sequels to these books. So there's, I think, four in the series now. Um, and I, I, this is the kind of fantasy that really appeals to me. I'm generally not a huge mm-hmm. high fantasy person, but... Um, this is the real world that just has an overlay of magic over it. And so it reminds me a lot of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, mm-hmm. if, if you've read that, but it's a much uh, smaller book than that one. And it's called Sorcery in Cecilia or the Enchanted Chocolate Pot by Patricia C. Reed and Caroline Sturbermere. I'm literally putting it on hold as you talk. <laughs> That's what you've been typing. That's what I've been typing in. I was not ignoring you. Yeah, I, think I was listening it. to this description thinking I need this as soon as possible and I'm putting it on hold. <laughs> Yay, my work is done here. <laughs> Go home for the day. All right, so I'm going to just bring us right down because oh, my yay. next book is We Need to Talk About Kevin oh, by geez. Lionel Shriver. 
for something completely opposite. For something completely different. Um, This book is not for the faint of heart, to say the least. Uh, It is all written in letter format, obviously, for the theme for the day. A woman named Ava or Eva. I don't know, uh, writes a series of letters to her, her husband after their son, Kevin, has killed seven students and two adults at his school in uh, mass murder. And she traces Kevin's life from the time he was born and was just this difficult, screaming baby up to the day that he completes this horrific act. And then afterwards, as he now is somewhere, that she goes and visits him. <laughs> and we see the development of who he who he is as as a child into this young adulthood and she is an ambivalent mother from the beginning when she has him she doesn't feel this much of a maternal attachment to him and she's worried that this means that she lacks a maternal gene she wasn't even sure she wanted kids and Mm -hmm. then she had one and doesn't really have that bond with him and then she feels very distant from him and so she feels like maybe somehow she's caused his behavior to be this cold, yeah. unfeeling kind of a child and t- to act out in ways that she thinks normal kids don't act out. Mm-hmm. Um, and her, her husband's more of like an easygoing optimist guy and he just writes off Kevin's behaviors as normal temper tantrums and things like that. And like the things he does are typical boy behavior, little right, boy behavior, right. like a little boy's going to hit things or stuff like that. And so then they end up having another child a little girl and there's a fairly large age difference I think between Kevin and the younger the daughter um again this one this is a book that I read a, probably close to 10 years ago if not more and so um some of the details escape me but but I feel like they're they by the time they have the second daughter Kevin's probably five or something like he's okay. not he's not a little baby I I think that I think that might be about the right age difference. But anyway, point is this little girl is this happy, cheerful, loving child. Mm -hmm. And Ava does feel very much of an attachment and a protective mother feeling towards her. So it's definitely specific to Kevin that Mm -hmm. she feels this distance. So as, as the book goes along, you're learning more about her. You're learning more about Kevin. You're learning more about exactly what happened that day, even though you know from the beginning that that he's killed these people, you don't know exactly how it played out. Mm-hmm. And so all of it is revealed bit by bit. And um, it's it's completely brutal. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is a brutal book to read. It's disturbing, but it really makes you think. And it's so insightful about, I thought about, I just kept thinking, what would you do? What yeah. would you do if yeah. you were that mother? And you would be questioning yourself. Mm-hmm. You would be thinking, is this me? Is it just because I didn't want kids or mm-hmm. I, I don't have this, maybe everybody else in the situation would just dote on their child and yeah. I'm not, and that's just not in me. Or is he abnormal or, mm-hmm. or are these behaviors we should be worried about? What is normal? You know, all these questions. And then also very insightful about the psyche of this child mm-hmm. um, and what what drives him to do what he does. I remember reading this and just be, it was one of those books when I finished it, I like could not pick up another book right mm-hmm. after for several days, which is so unusual for me. Usually yeah. I finish one book, I'm right into the next one. And this just would not leave my head. I could not stop thinking about it. I wanted everybody I knew to read it so I could talk to them about it. It's a very hard book to convince yeah, people to yeah. read because it's such a brutal topic. Um, I know they made a movie of it. I have not seen the movie. I just... I, I don't want to put myself through that ringer yeah. again, but it was 
well worth the read. It was, um, and it felt very timely when it came out. It was like 2006 or mm-hmm. so. And, and still to this day, unfortunately, it's very timely. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, it's We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver. I haven't read it, but I had it, I had it spoiled for me at mm. some point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I... I think about stuff like that all the time of because it's so easy to when you see things in the news to think, mm-hmm. oh, well, mm-hmm. he was a neglected right. child. And right. then how often that's not the case. And, yeah. and yeah. All right. What's your last one? Hopefully it'll be happier. It is happier. happier. <laughs> right. I went with all kind of lighthearted books on uh, this. I don't know why. Maybe because we did wartime stories last. And yeah, so that so was my, wanted, yeah. yeah. So my my last book is Griffin and Sabine, An Extraordinary Correspondence by Nick Bantock. And this is one of my favorite books, actually. Oh, okay. um, it started an obsession with artist books and novels that are, to- that are told with artwork and text. And I have a pretty decent collection, but they're scattered across several states. So I don't know what I own at this point. So So just keep buying them. No, I don't want to get more of the same thing. So I should have been cataloging them along as I went along. Yeah. That would have been smart. It would have been. I'm not that smart. Again, past and future. I know. Um, so this story is told in a series of removable postcards and letters that are written between these two characters, Griffin and Sabine. And so the first postcard is is just, it appears out of nowhere. It's, it's addressed to Griffin and he's an artist that's living in London and that he, it comes from a woman named Sabine who, the way she writes to him is very familiar and she comments on one of his pieces, but he knows she knows things about it that are not in the finished product. So... She, so Griffin just isn't sure where she's getting this information. And, and so he writes back and he just says, how do we know each other? And I must be um, forgetting something. And so he wants to know how much, how she knows so much about his art. And she replies that she's been watching his art for years. And although he doesn't know her, he, she now knows who he is and where he is and that she wants to introduce herself. And so that's a very strange response. So none of it makes sense, of course, to Griffin. And so this begins a correspondence between them that begins with these postcards that have kind of surreal collages on the cover or on the the front of them. And then they developed into long letters and the letters actually come in little envelopes and you get to pull them out and read them and they have stamps on them and they're so beautiful and they're so fun. And it just makes me want to roll around on the floor with happiness because I just love this type of book so much. So a relationship begins to develop between them and um, as they exchange these letters and postcards, Griffin doesn't know if he's falling in love with her or if this is all some if he's starting to go crazy, if if this is um, a mental lapse that he's having, and it's it's just completely intriguing to think of the possibilities of what's happening in this. So it actually was the start of a trilogy. So the the book ends on a cliffhanger, um, and then there's a second spinoff trilogy. And then I I just read last night. I hadn't been aware of this because I haven't bought any books lately. That there's a bridge book that kind of connects the two that came out I think last year or a couple of years ago. Um, so, so for me, these are things that can be revisited again and again because they're the story is is fairly light, even though it's it's intriguing. The real star of this book are the are, is the artwork, and so every time you look at it, you see something different, and and it's just outside of any art I've seen before, and it, it's just completely 
enchanting, I think. I, I really, really love this type of book, and, and I love Nick Bantock and everything that he's written. So um, if you want to get into that, it's called Griffin and Sabine, An Extraordinary Correspondence, and I give it my double thumbs up. All right. Uh, my last one is Sleeping Giants by Sylvain Newell. And this is actually not the book I was planning on talking about, but I read this over the weekend and I was like, hey, this totally fits. Oh, I'm going to talk about this. I had no idea. Oh, I thought when I saw you were reading it, I thought you were reading it no, before the podcast. No, no, no. I, I just, was surprised. I had, there was, there's a podcast and a blog that I follow and she had recommended it and I was like, oh, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, hey, this is perfect <laughs> for our topic. And I love a it when that happens. It's coming out like it just, it just came out, just didn't it? Just recently yeah. or just about to? I think so. So, Waking Gods. Yeah. Yeah. This is when you talked at the beginning about thinking epistolary novels were just letter writing. This is the definition of epistolary novel that, in that it has interview transcripts, newspaper <gasps> articles, government documents, um, uh, journal entries. So it's it's not letters. Yeah. It's all the other Do you think stuff. part of the fun is the, like picturing yourself going through a book of like a big box of papers and just sort of piecing together? Oh, I don't know. I think that that's for me. For what, you, is what? it? I don't think so. For mm. me. I don't think so. I think that would, I, that yeah. that sounds fun to me. Yeah, I just like the structure for some reason mm-hmm. of not like the, the quickness, the, of the, it. the quickness, and like the oh, what's going to be next? Is yeah. it going to be a government document? Is it going to yeah, be an interview? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I like that part of it. So yeah. I guess in theory, sort of the same idea, like just mentally going through. Yeah, that. yeah. I, I picture that the physical yeah. act of yeah. like, okay, well, there's this newspaper clipping, and what, what does this? this have to yeah. do with it? Yeah. Okay, so, let's write one of these. I know we should. <laughs> what can it be? I'll talk about that. <laughs> um, so one day a, gr- a young girl is riding her bike in the town of Deadwood, South Dakota, when she falls into an enormous hole in the ground and lands in the palm of a hand uh, that is this huge metal sculpture thing. Oh. And nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows where it came from. This hole didn't exist like before. It just suddenly appeared. So, of course, people immediately are looking into what this is and how it developed but she's this little girl so she just goes about and lives her normal life Mm -hmm. and eventually becomes a physicist and years later nobody has ever been able to solve what this hand was where it came from anything like that it's just sort of sitting in a warehouse somewhere and she is recruited onto a team that's top secret and their goal is to determine what in the heck the hand is made of where it came from what it means and is it part of something bigger is it just this solitary thing and it becomes clear quickly that the hand is is some sort of piece of a larger structure but whether it's a weapon or something innocuous or something altogether unknown remains to be seen that's part of what this team has to figure out the first thing that Rose has to figure out is how to even find the other pieces because assuming it's a hand that's a part of a statue or a robot or something and where all the other pieces. Mm -hmm. So that's the first puzzle she has to solve. And she has a couple of team members that are military adjacent Mm -hmm. people. And, but it's a very small team and they work very closely together for years to try to figure out what it is. And it reminded me a little bit of the movie arrival. Have you seen that? that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's really fast paced, but it's sort of, it makes you think in the same way Arrival makes you think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite as mind-bendy as yeah. Arrival, I wouldn't say. But it, it's got a similar kind of feel to it. And I don't consider myself a fi- sci-fi sci-fi fan. If you've listened to this, you know this. <laughs> but um, I read this in one sitting. Like, I just couldn't Whoa. wait to find out what happened next. It's a very quick read, yeah. um, especially because of the format. And so you just I just went from one page to the next. And I was like, well, 
now this piece happens and oh my gosh somebody dies and then this thing happens and so mm -hmm. it's it was a really just it was a really fun read and interesting and like you said there's a sequel and it ends on a huge cliffhanger so you Yay. definitely I think would want to I mean, I know I do want to go and read the, the sequel and find out what happens next. Um, so that's Sleeping Giants by Sylvain Newell. I feel like that got a lot of good librarian buzz yes. when it came out yeah. last and I, year. I've heard from, um, now that I've read it, I've read some reviews of people similar to me. Like, this isn't really my thing, but mm -hmm. I picked it up because somebody encouraged me to, and I mm -hmm. really liked it. Um, and that's sort of how I felt. Yeah, like, it yeah. was it's one that I thought, oh, this is different, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was good. All right, so we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. Oh, no, before we do that, haha, ha, um, just kidding. Yeah. Um, so this was epistolary novels, so I didn't choose this book, but I just have to say that one of the greatest letter books of all time is 84 Charing Crossroads. Oh, I still haven't read that, but <gasps> oh, I know that so I need good. to. It's about a woman and a bookseller, and it's a true story, and it's so good. Yeah. Okay, now we'll be back in one minute with what we're reading this week. Are you reading this weekend? I'm reading The Quick by L Lauren Owen, and I won't say too much about the plot because it's really hard to not give spoilers that happen early in the book. And don't read reviews; um, they give too much away. And I had this book spoiled for me, and I was not happy about it. So do yourself the favor if you if this sounds like it's interesting to you, don't read anything. Um, it's set in 1892. And it's about a young man named James Norbury, who's an aspiring poet and playwright. And he has recently moved to London after graduating from Oxford. And when he was there, he never really fit in. Um, he had kind of a weird um, childhood where his, his mother had died and his father um, basically left to, I can't remember where the father lives, but he basically left the, the two children to be raised by other family members um, in a big decrepit house, very Gothic. So he doesn't have any money um, and he doesn't have the, the social ease that other people have at, at uh, Oxford. So he has a hard time finding friends. But through some connections, once he moves to London, he moves in with a man that he vaguely knew at, at Oxford, more by reputation, who's named Christopher Page. And through Christopher, he begins to feel true happiness and that he's finally found himself. And then he disappears. And so his sister Charlotte leaves their home in Yorkshire to find, to, to find him. And when she's in London, she has a series of terrifying encounters and all the clues to James's disappearance point to the Aegolius Club. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, which is an exclusive and mysterious place for the very best gentlemen in London society. And that's all I'm going to say about it. There's too much, too much. <laughs> This is full of mysterious gothic atmosphere, um, but it has a tinge of the picture of Dorian Gray to it. It's all about dandies that have a sinister secret they're hiding from the rest of the world. So you can pretty much give me anything that's labeled gothic Victorian London and I will gobble it up with a spoon. So this is not anything outside of my comfort zone. Um, but the writing is really strong for a debut novel. I was, I was kind of surprised by that. 
Um, and the plot twist may not appeal to everyone, but you find out pretty early on, although saying that it's a 500 page book. And so finding out the plot twist after the first hundred pages, you're still committing a decent amount of time to it, but it reads really fast. So I didn't feel like it was something that, that took too long for me to find out, um, where the rest of the book would be going. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. It's called The Quick by Lauren Owen. So what I read this week is The Garden of Small Beginnings by Abby Waxman. And we're recording this episode a little bit early, but if my timing is right, I think it just came out on Tuesday of when the week we're recording oh, this, May 2nd. Okay. All right. So if not, if my timing's wrong, then it's coming out soon <laughs> if it hasn't come out yet. Um, so I had an advanced reader's copy of it and it was perfect. I had a, a really bad cold last week and was recovering from it. And I just sat on the couch and read this book and it was just exactly what I needed in yeah. that moment. It was so great. It is about a woman named Lillian Gervin who is in her thirties, mid thirties, and she's the mother of two young daughters. Her husband died in a car accident about three years before the start of the book. And Lillian is surviving, I would say, but not thriving in any way. She manages to take care of her kids. She had, um, after his death, she had a, um, pretty much a breakdown and, and had to go to get psychiatric help. But now she's, she's able to work and she takes care of her kids with the support of her family. And she's, she's doing okay now. Um, but she hasn't really moved forward. She's not ready to move forward. She has a lot of encouragement, even from his parents to start looking maybe for somebody new to spend her life with. She's still young and and she has no desire to, Mm. to do that. So she has kind of a cool job. She works at a textbook company and she draws illustrations for textbooks. And so it's, it's fun the way she describes it. They get, no matter, they get really kind of arcane topics and then also just the eighth grade science textbook, you know, they do all sorts of different things. So she gets to illustrate a wide variety of things and they're the company is trying to land a big account where she would need to illustrate vegetable guides for this company um it's out of i want to say sweden so um in order to prepare her for this and also to try to win the business they the company signs her up for a gardening class that's going to take place for six weeks um at the la botanical garden and um it takes it's every saturday morning so she thinks all right well it's just as easy to be depressed at home as it is to be doing something for my job. She decides to do it. She's allowed to bring her kids. She ropes her sister into taking the class with her. And um, this class is taught by this good looking, kind man. And it's populated by a variety of interesting, quirky people from different backgrounds. And they each have their own reasons for taking the class. And as the weeks go by, Lillian discovers that there's something about the gardening and, and being outside and and growing things mm-hmm. that is helping her come to terms with the loss of her husband and and maybe find a little bit of happiness. And and here's the thing, my my description and the description of the book I feel like makes it sound trite and predictable. Mm-hmm. And while it, while it might be, I mean, I think you you know kind of where the story is going mm-hmm. when you pick up this book. It's also really really funny and it's it's got uh it doesn't downplay the grief at all or or gloss over that trivialize it yeah and um and and the effect that the grief has on an entire family and and what that feels like and I think she just balances the author and I I think this is her first book um she balances the humor with the sadness really well and I especially love the relationship between Lillian and her sister Rachel because um they obviously care about each other enormously and are very supportive of each other, but they also don't always, it's not all sunshine and roses yeah. either. And so I just felt like it, it, all the relationships felt genuine to me and I just loved it. And there were no pat answers either. Mm-hmm. And I just really liked all of that. So that's The Garden of Small Beginnings by Abby Waxman. 
All right, so we're done, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's go back and say all the books we talked about this episode. This week I talked about Ella Minope by Mark Dunn, Sorcery and Cecilia or the Enchanted Chocolate Pot by Patricia C. Reed and Caroline Stervermere, Griffin and Sabine, An Extraordinary Correspondence by Nick Bantock, and this week I read The Quick by Lauren by Lauren Owen. Yes, hard to say for some reason. <laughs> um, and I talked about Attachments by Rainbow Rowell. We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver, Sleeping Giants by Sylvain Newell, and uh, what I was reading this week was The Garden of Small Beginnings by Abby Waxman. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at beaufortcountylibrary.org slash well-read, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading. <laughs>